really fits me now. <laughs> Except your hand won't fit through the cuff. And the bedpost is reinforced. Nice thought. Shut up. Don't listen to him. He's the reason we're here to begin with. Look how he ended up. I'm just telling her how things really are. No, you're doing what you always did. Minimizing. Condescending. I'm not so sure you can hide things from me now. Okay, you're wasting precious time here. I can't get out. You have to. I am chained to the bed. Don't recite facts to me. Wake up. Says the voice in your head. <laughs> this is you. All over. Problem. Panic. Denial. Hoping if you look away, it'll magically vanish. If you don't wake up, you're gonna die in those handcuffs. And we both know you've been sleepwalking since you were 12 years old. Not now. If not now, when? Not now. What? He put you in those handcuffs way before Gerald did. Who's he? podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello and welcome back to another fun-filled episode, only one of them this week, of The Fear of God podcast. Your favorite podcast dissecting what scares us and what saves us. My favorite podcast that finds the holy and the horrific. That's right. This is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. Now, typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. But I didn't even know they had one of these. He did say something about needing to go feed the dog or a dog. You know, just he was just he he in the fridge he opened the fridge and there was some cold meat and he was like hey i'm gonna go give this to this dog i saw padding around outside so you know uh, reads a benevolent soul you know and and he sees a person or an animal in need he wants to go take care of it so i guess we'll kind of hang out until he gets back but in the meantime i do want to entreat you i want to implore you i want to request of you if you will that if you have not before, that you do us a favor and go over to iTunes. Um, leave us a rating. Leave us a review. We want your honest assessment of what you think of the show. Hopefully, it's an excellent one. But also, you know what? If you've got some criticisms, why don't you come to us first? Okay? Come to us before you leave your review or your rating. Regardless, we will post that on Instagram for all to see. So be knowledgeable of that. I don't actually, it sounds like I'm scaring you off from leaving ratings and reviews. I don't mean to do that. Just want to make sure they're good ones. All right. So I did want to, um, read you're Hello. back, buddy. Hello you're back. There. Yeah. How's so it going? I, did, I mean, I'm, I, you know, I didn't even know you, like, I don't know. Is there a dog around the premises of your apartment building like I didn't well know. there is now because i guess whatever i gave them to eat was like super prime cut meat 
like really great meat and oh okay so now they're just now they're coming around all the time now they're just swarming yeah. now i got a whole pack outside oh, right no. now looking at my arm like kind of yeah yeah kind of delectably so i'm not quite sure exactly delectably what... that's a good word <laughs> i never heard it used in that in that sort of um tense you know delectably you know what i'm not quite sure that it's proper but <laughs> i but wasn't we... trying to criticize you but i was complimenting it. you no, so i appreciate you did it. it you did I appreciate it. it that's true hey reed i just want to remind you if you aren't and but you know by way of audience remind them as well because they get to overhear our conversations on this podcast um Every once if, in a while just remember Remember, we're less than a month out from the film and probably Uh-oh. right at a month right at a month out from our quarterly king pet cemetery conversation. Oh my I gosh. I'm pumped about getting into some pet cemetery. So, um we are going to be touching on pretty much whatever facet of media that exists out there relative to pet cemetery will probably come up. Um, we yes. are going to discuss the new film. We will touch on the old film. We will touch on the prose novel. Um, there's a documentary about the old film that's out there. There's a bunch of that's different great. media out there. I would say, and you can correct me on this if if you feel so inclined, but I would say our primary trio is going to be the two films in the book. Yes. Would you say that's, that's pretty pretty accurate? That is probably the essential bit of, of media consumption to prepare yourself for. The new film, which releases on April 5th, I Sixth, think? 5th? Yeah, something yeah. like that. So, um, uh, first weekend of April. So, uh, the new film, Pet Cemetery. we are going to be spending some time on the old film from the 80s, which I believe at the moment might be streaming on Amazon Prime. Um, Ooh, and good then, to know. Yeah, and then uh, the book. The, we will be spending a lot of time with the book. So there is some additional material that you could acclimate yourself with if you want, but those three are kind of canonical primer for the upcoming episode in a, in a month. And if you've been with The Fear of God long, you might remember from, I think, actually the very first episode that Nathan referenced that Pet Cemetery was the one Stephen King book he read in like sixth grade, which is ridiculous. Yes. And didn't didn't pick up King again for like a dozen years. <laughs> I, I I am no Reed Lackey when it comes to young intestinal <laughs> fortitude for scary material. I know. Um, it, it sent you running. Me, it sent me running back. I was like, ooh, I want more. It's Sent me running over that deadfall and straight out to get out of Ludlow. I am out of here. I'm going back to Chicago. Um, that's that's some deep cuts, Pet Cemetery. No, yeah, there. no kidding. You like that? Um, I appreciate it. We. It sounds like both of us are not. We're a little under the weather here at the Fear of God. Hey everybody, <laughs> we're so sick. You sound like the grandpa from The Simpsons. Um, <laughs> I just, I just sound like a sick me. Um, <laughs> Also, I did want, before we get into deep on this episode, Reed, I don't know if you noticed this, but we did a little Choose Your Own podcast last week. Oh my gosh, we're so so stupid and awesome. (laughs) That's pretty, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Hopefully you guys picked up on that, you know. Yes. We we were trying to, in the spirit of Bandersnatch, you know, give you you some options, you know. That's right, that's right. Let you choose. Um, so that was a lot of fun. That so, any yeah. Final, any final words on Bandersnatch? Well, yeah, it's just in case you don't know yet what he's talking about. So last week we covered the Choose Your Own Adventure Netflix film called Black Mirror Bandersnatch. And in the spirit of the material we covered, uh, we released two different podcast episodes on Bandersnatch. And like the film that we covered, 
Both of them uh, basically are complete in and of themselves, but they are different experiences. So if you listen to one and you're going to see some similarities in the, in the next one, you're going to hear some differences in the next one. So uh, it was a lot of fun, and we hope you guys yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, we certainly got quite a few laughs out of it. But, uh, but yes, indeed. So there was not a mistake in the feed. There were two episodes, and they are basically covering the same content but there are some pretty big differences so there it is yeah you know you kill your dad in one yeah uh, you pull your earlobe in the other one (laughs) (laughs) i don't i don't i resist that no you do um yes uh bandersnatch was a lot of fun it will split our analytics but it was worth it um (laughs) (laughs) read so yes sir we have more or less put to bed at least a phase one of netflix and chills we're sort of in a phase two right now yeah but the primary series we are now embarking upon, starting with this episode, uh, we're going to be focusing on three films and the TV series, all um, spearheaded by uh, Mike Flanagan. Yes. Um, I, I, I don't even know that it's worth it to say up-and-comer anymore. He's definitely on the oh, scene. He's, he's definitely present. Yeah. Yeah. He, is, he is making quality work, and we are beginning a new episode featuring three movies of his culminating four weeks from now three weeks from now whatever do the math uh on <laughs> the haunt the, the haunting of hill house yes. um, will be our final episode of uh what we are affectionately dubbing flannel graph flanagan indeed. Um, indeed yeah yeah so uh yeah so the three films that we're going to be looking at are all available to stream on netflix as is the series haunting of hill house um, we, we did a little bait and switch on, uh, Bandersnatch last week. Uh, so, uh, uh that, that trick, the trickery aside, uh, we are going to be covering Gerald's game, which we are going to be talking about today. We are going to be covering Mike Flanagan's film before I wake. We're going to be covering his film hush. And then the week following that we will be having our full robust thematic, uh, artistic, covering as much as we possibly can about the epic 10-episode series, The Haunting of Hill House, that we've been tagging in on now for six or seven weeks. Goodness gracious, I I wasn't even paying attention to the fact that we've got a series trifecta going on with this episode. We do, we do. Um, We are are not... We are not just doing the old Netflix and chills. We are not just doing Flannel Graph Flanagan, but for today, we are, in fact, his name has already been invoked once, uh, dipping back into our year-long series, that of Hashtag 19. It is 2019. Yes, indeed. The number 19 has a mystical sort of nature in the work of Stephen King. Um, we, we are talking today about the Flanagan film uh, based on the Stephen King work, Gerald's Game. But not yet. Oh, but not well, yet. Yes, not Lest yet. I get ahead of myself. Yes, we're not talking. We're not talking about Gerald's game quite yet because first and foremost, I gotta ask you, Mister Nathan Rouse, what you watching? What you reading? Listening to what you watching? What you reading? Listening to? Hey Nathan, what you watching? Reading? Listening to? Wow. I don't think I did it as good as you did it the first time you pulled you, that one you, out. But you didn't, was, but I appreciate the throwback. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you didn't read. It was it was subpar. It was no, it was deficient. No, I've heard better. <laughs> so yeah, Nathan, what have you been watching, reading? What have you been listening to? Man, can I throw like a flurry of them at you? 
Oh, well, okay. I mean, I'll do, I'll do, I'm going to just touch and go on two and then I'll unpack okay. a third. Okay. Uh, now, uh, well, I guess I should, I should ask this. How many do you have? Uh, I'm, wow. Uh, okay. I'm no, gonna I mention- didn't mean that as a catch. I just mean like, I won't talk about all three of mine at once if you've got like two or three. Uh, no, I, I, I kind of have like a series of movies. I'm not going to talk about all of the movies, but okay. I'm just going to rattle off a flurry of, of things, All right. So. Well, let me do two and then you pick up and then I'll do one. Okay. Um, sounds good. So real quick, a couple of new, this is like a pretty good year so far for some of my favorite musical artists. Um, one of which we would share here most, I think last week as of this recording, um, the full album finally released after several singles trickled out of David Gray's gold in a brass age. I do mm. love David Gray. Thanks to you. I, well, I you do know too. What? You're now, welcome. Now, hang on. I got to confess. Well, maybe it was thanks to you because I have a distinct memory of hearing white ladder post being in California with you, but I think I knew nope. white ladder because of you. No, no, no. I did. You knew, you knew no, the, white ladder because of me, because we were together when I bought it. They're both correct. So I am remembering a memory apart ah. from you, but it's only because of you that that memory would exist because I only knew what. Look, Reed, so much of my life is just because of you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> this show, David Gray. Yeah! I mean, like, it's just everything. Everything. I'm just going to yes. leave that one alone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, David Gray has a new album out. It's called Gold in a Brass Age. I haven't been able to listen to it with extreme attentiveness yet but what i have heard so far it's david gray i mean more or less you can't go wrong that's quite true that's quite true did you have a second one before um, i, I do i do um i actually because this is why i've got several here and we'll have a few more to piggyback on for next week i watched oh a bunch I, I did a little out of town trip with a buddy uh, last weekend and watched more movies than i probably should have for a responsible adult but it was like we're out of town like i don't have my kids aren't here my wife's not here we're gonna catch up on some movies so i did <laughs> read believe it or not i pulled the trigger uh-oh and i watched venom <laughs> <laughs> featuring tom hardy did you like it is i it haven't Re- seen it yet is it, is it reese ahmed yeah i believe that's his name and Michelle Williams. You know what? It was it was fun. You enjoyed it? Was. it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, now hear me. I judged it harshly when I saw trailers for it. Um, sure, sure. It's got a noteworthy, like, 30-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it made a crap ton of money. So I was like, you know what? I'm on my little weekend trip. We're watching movies. I'm going to take a chance on it. And when your bar is that low, there's almost nowhere to go but up. And <laughs> and it went up. I was like, okay, you know okay. what? That was fun. That was worth just All two right. hours hanging out with your buddy watching a movie. Okay. All right. I get that. That's, Ladies and gentlemen, if that is a recommendation, then take that. <laughs> take- <laughs> hey, you didn't say to recommend it. You said, what am I watching? You asked me That's what am I point. watching. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Well, what, um, about, what about you, Riri? Speaking of, uh, so I was, as you know, listeners may be able to hear, uh, we are a little bit under the weather, and uh, I was severely under the weather on this past, uh, f- last week, for, as of this recording. And so I, I took a sick day from work because I was just very, uh, I was very sick. And sometimes even when I take sick days, I still like log in and try to get some stuff done. And it's it's a, a bad thing on my part. But um, I intentionally was like, no, I'm sick. I'm laying in bed and I'm just watching movies. That's all I'm doing. I'm just going to lay in bed and in between dozing in and out, I'm just going to watch movies. And so... <laughs> I, 
I just have this image of you just like conked occasionally, you know, kind of opening your eyes in the middle of one movie, catch 10 <laughs> minutes and go right out. You're like, no, I watched it. I watched it. It was on. I, I saw it. Okay. From beginning to end. I just, I saw it. Uh, you know, listeners of the show know that I subscribe to, well, we subscribe to the horror streaming service Shudder, and Shudder has a lot of exclusive content that I had been meaning to catch up with, and so I just plowed through about eight of the Shudder-exclusive films. So there was, a, there was a flurry of them, most of them to be candid with you, most of them I watched, and I was like, I liked that. That was okay. Nothing nothing to get like super extremely excited about, but none of them did I watch and was like, "Oh, well, that was that was awful." I mean, for the most there was something to enjoy in each of them. Um I'll I'll rattle off the titles just really quickly. Hey, can um, I interrupt you real quick? Yeah, of course. You you've used this phrase a couple of times and I do not think it means what you think it means. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> um, but you'll reference Shutter exclusive and can you unpack a little bit cuz even I who use Shutter am not totally sure how they define that and the reason i say that is like mm-hmm. for instance occasionally i think it was even like revenge or mandy or something they they had the tag on there but i know that you know you can buy those films those films were not right. produced for right. shutter do you know what it means for it to be a quote-unquote exclusive it's a very good question and not, i didn't mean know, to trap you if there isn't an answer. no sorry. no it's a it's a very good question i've wondered about it myself because occasionally i will see what what i think it means i've kind of ascertained what I think it means is in terms of subscription services like Amazon Prime, Netflix, right, right. Uh, all of the different Streaming, services. Right. No no other subscription service has this film. That gotcha. I think I think that's what it means. They have exclusive I like, wondered if that's the case, yeah. Yeah, cuz like cuz like there's plenty of stuff that you might be able to buy digitally like on iTunes or right. maybe through a like you could you could own the film, right. uh, possibly even rent the film through these other services, but in terms of a subscription service wherein you just pay for the service and have access to the film, right. I think that I think what classifies as shutter exclusive content is you know, those are those are only available on their specific service. That makes sense. Um, I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt you. No, 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 you're fine. Um so so yeah, so I watched like nine films. Whoa! So <laughs> I watched five and thought I was, you know, obscene in my amount. <laughs> well, you know what? You may get there first, but I'll always do more than you. So, um, <laughs> wow. uh, so uh, no. So I'm just going to rattle off the titles really quick and then I'll say uh, a couple of words about my two favorites. So uh, I watched a film called The Crucifixion by the writings of The Conjuring, actually. Um, a film called Can't Take It Back. A film called Christmas Presents, present spelled P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, but it is also known outside the country in, uh, with the title Why Hide. I watched a film called Don't Grow Up. I watched a film called Ruin Me, a film called Small Town Killers, a film called Sequence Break, a film called Downrange, and a film called Let Me Make You a Martyr, starring one Mr. Marilyn Manson. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so all that's of a, these films... That's a lot of dark content in a short it is time, a, right? It's a lot of dark content. <laughs> so, um, so I'm going to mention my two favorites. I actually... None of the films, with possibly the exceptions of The Crucifixion and Sequence Break, did I dislike. Um, I didn't care very much for 
the crucifixion or sequence break, which disappointed me on the crucifixion because there was a, a strong spiritual component to the film, and I wanted to like it more than I did, but I just I, I didn't like it very much. Um, all of the rest of the films were, were fine. I was glad I saw all of them, and I was like, okay, no, I, I, I pretty much like all of these, but I want to mention Small Town Killers and the film Ruin Me. Um, so if you have access to Shudder, or as we've already mentioned, some of these are available to sort of rent or, or acquire elsewhere, um, these would be uh, soft recommendations for me for you to do that. Small Town Killers is about two men uh, who become very sort of disenfranchised in their marriage, and uh, they get very drunk one night, and they're disgruntled and complaining about their wives. And in the middle of this drunken flurry, they accidentally hire a Russian hitman to come. And in the process of them kind of trying to backpedal that uh, error, then their wives find out about it and, in retribution, hire a British hitman on them. And it all just, it's comedic nonsensical mayhem it's actually the only film that i saw that actively was not a horror film it's it's more like a dark comedy but uh, but it was actually quite a bit of fun with the very intentional asterisk that some of the content uh, is just some of the uh, intentions and motivations behind some of the characters is a bit uh, raunchier than than my tastes would have preferred. Uh, just some crude jokes and something. I actually don't think there was any explicit content in it. Just some crude jokes, but it was actually quite funny. I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. The other one that I wanted to highlight was a film called Ruin Me, which I think has a great premise. There are these things called like horror campouts or horror sleepouts, or, or they're basically weekend horror themed experiences where you go camping in the woods and you have like missions to solve but it's it's in the guise of like a horror excursion well these campers go and they participate in this event and they very quickly realize about maybe mm, a few hours into it that this actually might they might be in real danger and so then it the the film becomes about like is this a real you know, sort of fight for our lives or isn't it? And uh, I found it to be pretty interesting and a lot of fun and surprisingly with a an alarmingly dark ending. That's all I'll say about it, but an, an alarmingly dark ending that I was not quite prepared for. But um, so my two favorites of the nine that I watched in this sicky weekend flurry were, um, yeah, Small Town Killers and Ruin Me, which I liked quite a bit. I also watched How to Train Your Dragon 2 in the midst of that, but we're not talking about that. Well, you could have. You, I mean, <laughs> you, just, you just did. <laughs> I, do, I, I do love that movie, but no, well, I've said enough. Uh, for my last What You Watching, I did take my kiddos, uh, not the tiniest one. We did go see the latest MCU chapter, that of Captain Marvel. Um, Ooh, how did you like it? We did. Do you want me to unpack a little bit? Um, uh, if you can do so without spoiling too many specifics, yeah. yeah. Well, there aren't a whole lot of specifics to spoil. I love so much about this movie. I okay. I don't know. I can honestly say I love this movie. There's um, okay. Um, it's got some scripting troubles that were a little noticeable. Um, th- so I I'll put it this way: there's a few things to love, and those things are very strong. Um, there's a, a plethora of things to like. There are a number of things that I'm pretty neutral about. And, and some, some of them are big production pieces, you know, just like there's an odd sense of like, you get to the end, you're like, is that, that's all the story there is. But you know, uh, they, they do a real deft, uh, plot twist in the middle that I didn't see coming that I really loved. Um, I adore the fact that, 
Carol Danvers has now entered the lex the, the pop culture lexicon alongside, you know, Miles Morales and Diana right, Prince and right. Wonder Woman and and Ray from Star Wars. Like these are sure, important sure. characters. Um, I'm going to resist making this a whole diatribe about oh, the okay, 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 utterly asinine response to this film from trolls and idiots. Uh, <laughs> Trolls Most and idiots. Trolls and idiots. And there are so many of them. And they're just really Indeed. loud. And you want to take your your power cosmic imbued fists and just like shoot them with your, your new Captain Marvel <laughs> cosmic rays. <laughs> you know, that's not nerdy at all. Um Wow. But more than that, Reed, oh my gosh, like I will I would buy see, I, I really am a little bit ambivalent on the whole experience of the movie, which which sounds like I would say go see it because what I was about to say is I would buy more tickets, sure, not necessarily and go a bunch more times just to support it because I think okay, the yeah. amount of idiocy that is happening in response to it is absurd. And I, I, I will call out uh, there's a certain website that's faith based that this article has been making the rounds because I kid you not. And what's so weird about this piece is you'd read it and you'd be like, come on, bro, you're totally trolling, right? But you're, but he's not. He's like totally <laughs> legit. And he's like, well, the the feminist agenda and Disney, you know, wasn't it nice when we had like Snow White and Cinderella? Uh, this is your behold. Oh like one of the one of the little subtitles is behold your queen talking about like, you know, it's it is. Wow. It is so stupid. And so <laughs> like. I'll say it from the pit of hell. That's what I'm going to say. You <laughs> what, watch, I, what's, what? What? Tell me. I was just going to say what's funny about that is I, I have not read the article because I wanted to avoid spoilers, but yeah. I have seen that article floating oh, around. Oh, my I know gosh. Which one you're talking about. So, yeah, I haven't read it. I can't comment on it because I've, yeah. I've been trying to avoid spoilers. Well, but, yeah. I'll, yeah. Go read it and then come back with your watch of watching in two, <laughs> two weeks and tell us about it. Uh, speaking of that, uh, I did just want to, I mean, finish this off and just be like, what you watching? What you reading, listening to? What you watching? I sound like from the actual show. What you reading, listening to? Hey, read. What you watching, reading, listening to? Oh my gosh! Don't, don't croak your voice. Don't croak your voice. <laughs> but that was. Well, I had to. I had to. Awesome. I had to follow up on your earlier attempt. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Ooh wee. Oh man. Well, okay. So uh, that's what we've been watching, reading, and listening to. But for the first time, first time on this show. Nathan. Read. We can actually... This is not my first time on the show. No, no. But oh, for okay. the first time on this show, we can actually integrate the next segment that we've been doing for six weeks now. Actually, uh, seven seven weeks now, I think. No? Six, seven weeks? I don't know. I don't remember. It's been a long time. It has but been... This is our seventh week. This is our seventh week. So, Because um, you know but, how I know that? Because we did episode six last week. That's right. Mm-hmm. Aw, so listen, um, so so basically, this is the first time where we can actively integrate our hashtag TV guideposts where we tag in on The Haunting of Hill House with the primary director of the series that we're in the middle of. I'm so excited. Flannel graph, Flanagan. Flan- oh, there's a jingle with it. So, yeah, yes, we got uh, to come up with a jingle for all our series titles. Like, was there a, was there a commercial? There's a lot of work. I gotta wonder if there's an old. We gotta we gotta YouTube this or something. Was there ever a commercial for the actual guideposts? 
or the TV guide because we need to figure out what it is. <laughs> I mean, and then, maybe. And I know, I know, we need to find out what that tune is. And oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is going to be. Yeah, but it's going to be so obscure. People will be like, what's that tune that they just yeah. made up? Because, like, if we've got to go hunt for it, then it's. it's but we'll yeah, know. We'll, fi- we'll figure it out. We'll, and the we'll real fans ourselves. will know. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so tagging in for the first installment of hashtag flannel graph Flanagan, we are now entering into hashtag TV guideposts, where we're going to be talking about episode seven of The Haunting of Hill House, getting closer and closer <laughs> to actually converging at the house and having our big thematic conversation that I'm so Reed, excited to have. I don't... It has flirted with happening in the history of our show. Before we're done with Hill House, I may be a weepy mess <laughs> talking, oh, about, talking about this darn show. I, I don't feel amazing right now, so it probably won't happen right now. But looking at my notes, I'm like, oh my god! It's, um, oh man, it's so this is going to be so, this is going to yeah. be a long this is going to be a long episode. You talk about nine movies. I talked about three things. We're talking about a lot of Hill House here, and then we oh got my a movie god. To go. Oh my um, gosh! Maybe we should have mitigated some of that. But no, no so the, no. so the, hey, the, that's what they're here for. They want to know. We're here. We're here. So um, the episode is called Eulogy. It is episode seven of Haunting of Hill House. Nathan, your thoughts? <laughs> uh, what is my number limit here? Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, no, remember just, we'll have a whole episode. No, well, yeah, for for themes, not for this episode. Oh, um, you think I ain't going to be bringing so, up stuff I love about this show? Well, again? yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Likes, dislikes. Okay, so what, my first note is, it is so funny how age changes what scares you. Watching <laughs> Elliot discover the water damage in the house is like, <laughs> dude, that is painful. Because uh, yeah, yeah. I sold a house last year that we discovered a ton of water damage in the base, in the crawl space and had to spend a junk ton of money on it so i know mm, mm, mm-hmm. and that was just a cross base so i watch yeah, yeah. i watch old young hugh walk that house and all that what i'm like oh my god brother yeah. um okay. so yeah that's my that, those are adult fears you know that's like responsible adult <laughs> fears i'm like no i hear you <laughs> um i actually watched this episode twice in prep for this because interesting i have overachiever some- uh, yeah, you know, that's what I do. And initially, I was like, oh, this episode's just okay. But then rewatching, I was like, no, I'm crying. Um, uh-huh. um, there are a lot of little beats to love in this episode. I, I love Theo's confession to her dad when she says, I should have made more of an effort with you. Um, oh, man, that's a great moment. That's I really love moment. the shot right after that. When Ghost Liv is sitting next to him, but she's out of focus and talking to him, do you remember this? Yeah, immediately following where she says that wasn't an, that wasn't expected. Uh, and gotta I, start somewhere. I th- yes, gotta start somewhere. Yes. Yeah, she yeah. may have said expected too, but I wrote down gotta start somewhere. But I just really love, I really love that. I'm gonna do maybe one more and then let you have a few, so I'm not stealing them all. Um, okay. It's well, it's one note, but it's two things at the funeral two things that make my like heart break into a million pieces one is that amidst <laughs> i feel it read amidst oh. all the downcast faces in at the funeral there is Liv sitting there beaming while luke gives his eulogy yeah i mean yep. it is yep that is a powerful powerful choice uh, mm-hmm. directorially because i mean just think about it like she's the only non-corporeal person that she's the only like spirit there you know yeah in other words all the norm all the people 
are wrapped up in the sadness. She's reveling in the joy of her son and, and this moment. So there's that. And I apologize for stealing this to you, from you, but um, <laughs> Luke's eulogy story where he's mm. describing Nell dropping him off and says her last words were, you go in there and bring my brother back. Yeah. I mean, dude, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. He says, I was 90 seconds older, but she was always my big sister. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's really beautiful. So I, I have it's, uh, I have a, an observation that I hope won't deflate too much of one of the things that you just mentioned there, but I'll mention a, I'll mention a couple of things. Uh, no, no, no. I'll mention a couple of things. So uh, one thing before you steal it. No, I'm just kidding. It, Luke to Hugh uh, yeah. Yeah, when yeah, yeah. he's when he says big boys know the difference between what's real and what's imaginary, which is what his right. dad had said to him when he didn't believe him, and now his dad's you know sort of believes him, and so there's you know there's all 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 of that and the the weight attached to the relationship in that context. I think the the way that they weave in and this is culminating into a holy crap moment i literally wrote down on my notes holy crap was the way they weave in live crane's presence so you saw in two storms that hugh crane daddy crane is constantly like throwing comments over his shoulder presumably right. to some other being being there you know and uh so there's all of that but then they definitively in this episode show you, okay, he's talking to his wife. Right. But here's what's interesting. My note changed halfway through the episode. So originally I wrote that I love the way they weave in her comments into his reality yeah. and the yeah. sort of the, the commentary. And I still, I, I love that very much. And then what I wrote is I wrote, whether it's only a projection of Hugh's imagination or whether it's actually Liv Crane's spirit doesn't really matter. Sure. And 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 I st I still feel that way, but I had forgotten that the episode specifically calls out what it is. Um when he is talking to I think either Luke or Stephen, now I've forgotten and I didn't write this part down, but he's talking to no, he's talking to Luke. Or uh, he tells Luke specifically that he sees their mother all the time. Right. And calls it a coping mechanism says specifically sure. that it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and so so the episode pretty definitively is like this is Hugh Crane's projection right, of right. of her, which I think only serves to embolden your observation about the the beaming. You know, right, that the, right. that it's not necessarily authentically her her spirit, but even sure. if it's not, it still means a tremendous deal. And when I wrote down holy crap, oh my gosh, this moment I love this moment so much. He pauses Stephen. Can we and, say it together? <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Because he pauses because he pauses Stephen. Dude, that's, He's that's looking nice. at him. Yep. And 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 then uh Stephen's like, What, Dad? What? And then over his shoulder, Liv says to him, says, I'm sorry I didn't talk, and I'm sorry I didn't listen, and I'm sorry I wasn't there, and it's the regret of my life. I'm so, so sorry that I couldn't fix it. And she says it. Right. She says it, but that's not what he winds up saying to Stephen. Right. What he winds up saying to Stephen is simply, what is it, Nathan? You remember? You, you fly safe. You fly safe. And as there's so much in that moment, I just, I almost exploded. Because there's so much in that moment about, 
the things we should say and yeah. want to say and yeah. don't say and oh man it's just it's it's uh it's phenomenal so that that moment is really powerful and really incredible i have uh that I have might that two, might two be notes, i'm sorry but, to cut you off that might be we'll we'll keep talking about it that might be my scene of this episode like like the, oh that that moment yeah because yeah. that's it's yeah. such a punch and I, i'm oh, with you like I, I don't I, I don't know that I was meaning to definitively state Liv was a, a, an actual spirit, but no, I'm, I'm with oh, you. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Whether she ultimately is or whether he's stating unequivocally this is a coping mechanism I use, it kind of doesn't matter because the sentiment is the same. You know? Sure, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one little quotation note that really breaks my heart is when I think El, uh, it's, it's the past, so it's uh, Hugh, young Hugh and Liv, I don't remember exactly what the context is, but she's, oh, maybe it's he's calling her out on the blueprints, um, but she just tearily says it just snuck up on me all of a sudden. Um, It's a really, 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 really sad moment. All right. So one throwaway thing that made me curious. Did you notice the body in the wall at the end when it finally shows it? Yeah. Is it just me or does it have a cane laying next to it? Like, is it? I would have to go back and look at it. Well, because now I could be wrong, but it look it looks like there's a king laying next to it, which made me think: Is this the body of the tall man? You know? Um, oh, interesting. I, I, I don't, I don't know. They, they don't. They don't do much nodding towards that. Otherwise, but noticing the fact that there was a or what looked like a cane there. Um, let can we talk about? And mainly, can I just ask you what you think of? Because I don't know what I think. Um, okay. The caretaker's monologue. Oh, I love it. I mean, we, um, we can talk about it, but yeah, my um, leading with my position. I, I remember it. the very first time I watched it, it just kind of threw me. I was like, wow, um, that's a really long monologue. <laughs> and, and, <sighs> and and he's pretty much on in the shot the entire time. I mean, there's a couple it's, of cuts, It's like but, a, yeah, it's like a six minute shot. Like it's just, but it's a stationary shot. I mean, I don't know that it's really six minutes, but it's like. It, it's it might exti- be. It's long. It's an extended amount of time of just him. Right. No cutaways. Yeah. The first time through, I didn't really appreciate it that much. I think it just kind of, in the moment, I just didn't. He was so ancillary a character until that yeah. moment. And you're yeah. like, whoa, this is this is a chunk mm-hmm. of episode you gave one shot with one monologue. So I want to gauge your sort of. Now, I don't know if you've read about this, but the original scripts. And they just did not end up with time and maybe budget to shoot this. Each episode, think about our TV guideposts to our main content. Each episode was going to feature vignettes from the past of these Hill okay. House of the Hill House residents through the history. Okay. Um, so I've been watching episodes with that in mind because because this particular scene especially does a really deep dive on the history of the house, you know, and the, yes, and the, right. The people who were there before, you know, the cranes definitely. Um, and agent Reyes is always referring to other characters who lived there. So sure. I, I can't decide now, hear me. It's a beautiful speech and it does a lot of character work for him and her, but I'm just kind of curious your thoughts. Like, is this, is this merely a lovely character piece that also serves to offer up, a significant mythology, you know, puzzle piece for the house. Like how do you, what's your takeaway from that whole sequence? Well, 
it serves a couple of purposes. So the first purpose it serves is it definitively goes to show that it is not the Crane family that is haunted, but this yes. okay. this yep. particular house. So sure. it does that. The second thing that it does is it provides some context for their characters and their attachment to the house. You know, the, and and obviously there's something coming up in the you know, in the final, I believe it's revealed in the very final episode that yeah, explains yeah. definitively why the Dudleys are so connected to this house. But um, so it provides some context for that. But also, I think it's just a powerful observation of of the way the house can kind of infect people, like the fact that it kind of tried to claim Mrs. Dudley, right. and then they escaped it. I think that provides some important context for why. Hugh Crane makes some of the decisions he makes when everything sort of ultimately comes down because he, he of course, tries to send uh, Liv away for uh, a week. I think, does he successful? I forget. I, no, she, that she he doesn't up, get to. Well, she ends up, she does leave the house, but if you recall, she leaves the house for like a hotel but comes right back. Like, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think just in terms of it's, it's fleshing out that mythology a little bit, but it is, uh, I mean, the actor is delivering a really powerful monologue. It's deeply affecting this story about his stillborn first child. Oh my God. His, the way he delivers that text, I can't, I don't, I didn't write it down, but that, that first cry that, that, oh, the first cry that she never got to utter. Oh my gosh. Well, it's so funny. I guess maybe it's the, maybe it's the actor in me. It's like, that actor has been on the periphery. I mean, he's, you know, in the thick of things. But if if you're just kind of casually watching the show, you may kind of notice him yeah. here and there. And, and then like two or and, three times. Yeah, yeah. It. And then you then that actor gets that script and is like, oh, um, that's a, <laughs> uh, uh, okay, this is a lot. This is a lot. And I got to I really got to make it work. Oh, you're going to. You can leave the camera on me the whole time. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know? But man, he he delivers. I oh, feel like yeah, he's yeah. really, really totally. great. I feel like he's really great. Um, so yeah, I had written, I had written that down. My, I have one scare and then another sort of just major like, and then that's the end of my notes. But um, well, what's your like so, before you do the scares? So my one major like is there is a fantastic shot. I mean, I don't, we don't talk enough about the. Uh, the framing of some of these shots. Obviously, we talked a lot in Two Storms about you know the the extended take and everything. But the shot where Hugh Crane is saying goodbye to the detective, and then it keeps yeah. cutting back to him in the foyer with the stairs behind him, and it just it's it's beautifully lit. It's a wonderful, a wonderfully framed shot. It's just it's powerful. It's really affecting. But all it is is just him standing in the foyer, kind of kind of at the precipice of this expanse behind him that is right. that house. And uh, it creates this kind of looming quality to it. It's, it's just a wonderful shot, and I, I noted it. Um, it's meant to be kind of an, a, kind of an extravagant shot, um, yeah. but, it, but it's effective. It's really, really wonderful. That's the, that's the last of my like, and I've got one scare. Uh, well, I've got a few scares. I mean, Hugh cutting his hand in the fan is terrible. That's just, yeah! that's just oh my awful. Gosh. The image of it afterwards. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's terrible. Um, I think the only other major, I've got a few other on here, but the only other major scare to me in this one is live with the screwdriver at his throat. Oh, uh, see, that's nerve wracking. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty nerve wracking. Yeah. What do, you, um, what, do you, what do you got? The major scare I've got is is Luke at the grave, yeah. and so Luke is at Nell's grave, looks up, sees bent neck lady version of Nell. Um, who barks at him, kind of don't. But then he looks down and sees 
the ghoulish version of his mother, like right. crawling towards him from the grave, saying, "You know, stay, stay, don't leave." And it's oh yeah, it's it, because it's been a relatively scare free episode at right. that point. Like that comes at about the three fourths of the way through the episode mark, and other than Hugh sticking his hand in the fan, there hasn't really been any jump moments or unnerving things. There've been some, you know, some upsetting things, but nothing really scary. So then when that comes, it's like, <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty gruesome. Okay, cool. That's, okay, that's what I got. All right, so that uh, for the sake of uh, our our sickiness and everything, I think that'll that'll do it for this week's hashtag TV guideposts episode seven eulogy tune in next week during our next episode when we will be discussing witness marks uh episode eight of the haunting of hill house but we may be leaving hashtag tv guideposts but we are not leaving the work of the extraordinary director mike flanagan so are you ready to just dive into gerald's game uh, hey man uh, hey, cuff me to the bed reed <laughs> 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 Just say no. Just say no. That is a visual image I did not want of you, your six foot whatever, hairy self in oh that goodness. night slip thing. Oh my goodness. Just up to the bed like, you ready to talk? That's um. That's the next fear of God art for the podcast. <laughs> no, it is not. No, it is. Dude. And you're, you're Dr. Teeth or whatever his name is. Oh my, What? <laughs> Doctor, Doctor Teeth, the creepy the, guy, the giant man. The, oh my gosh, that's, that's oh no, hilarious. No, no, no. The wow. moonlight man. No, yeah, no, that's no, that's no, his no, name. Thank you, not Doctor oh Teeth. Doctor <laughs> Teeth. I'm like, what is this? A Muppet now? Oh, I thought he had Dr. like a, like teeth and bones and jewels and stuff in his. Oh pack, well, in his he does. Satchel. He right, does. Right, right. He had a little bag of bones. That is a um, creepy dude. Ooh, he really is. So, um, okay, so Gerald's game. Gerald's uh, this is not only, as we've mentioned you know, previously, this is not only hashtag Flannel Graph Flanagan's installment episode, the first installment, sort of uh, introductory episode, but it is also, we're also tagging back in on hashtag 19, uh, which is our year-long sort of Stephen King uh, series. This is a novel by Stephen King, and it was one of the very few novels that Stephen King wrote in kind of the mid uh, early to mid-90s where he wanted, I, I don't quite know all of the history of impulse behind this, but Stephen King specifically made some made some material that is kind of uh, from a woman's perspective about women and specifically dealing with matters of like abuse and everything. And these are these are kind of the first two in which he uh, really dove wholeheartedly into that. Um, it was, I believe, the first time he had written and... You said these are the first two. Did I miss something? Uh, oh, so yes, I'm getting there. Oh, okay. Um, Gerald's Game was a companion novel to Dolores Claiborne. Have you ever read Dolores Claiborne? I have neither read nor seen Dolores Claiborne. Okay, all right. So... That's Kathy Bates. So right? it was... Uh, yes, Kathy Bates was starring in the film, and uh, those those were kind of companion pieces to each other. I'll explain why in just a second. But it was, I believe, the first time that King had written an explicitly female-centric novel since Carrie. I don't think since Carrie he had written. I mean, you could kind of count Firestarter um, and Cujo, which feature strong female uh, lead characters, but um, this is specific. Gerald's Game is very specifically sort of like dealing with issues that pertain specifically to like abused women and uh you know the, the and Dolores Claiborne 
covers much of the same sort of material, and so, but in an obviously different context. Um, but yeah, so Stephen King was kind of trying to, for whatever intentions were going on in in his heart and mind at the time, was kind of trying to put it out there and and specifically sort of raise the conversation about uh, about this subject. Now, I have to confess that Gerald's Game for a long time uh, was one of my least favorite of. Stephen King's books. I, I'm not a very big fan of the novel, and I had read it while I was... I kind of read it and listened to the audiobook at the same time. Like, I went back and forth. I would, you know, listen to the audiobook in my car, find that place in the novel, and keep reading from there. But I wasn't terribly fond of the novel uh, for a long time. But when I heard Mike Flanagan was directing a film about it, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Because for many, many years... I don't know if you've seen this in your refer- in research or whatever... But for many years, Gerald's Game was one of a very small handful of uh, material by Stephen King that people considered unfilmable. They said, there's, there's no way you could make a movie about this. And Just because it's all kind of stream of consciousness or what? That's a big reason, because it's all stream of consciousness. Also, in the novel, she's completely naked on the bed. There's no oh, slip. Oh. So people were like, how are you going to do a stream of consciousness novel where a woman is handcuffed to the bed for 90 minutes? Like, that's just not, like, right, how right. do you film that, you know? And so I think, let me say right out the gate, like I think Flanagan had has done an exceptional job of adapting this novel because it elevates the material to me. I was not a very big fan of the novel, but this elevated what I remembered of the novel in many, many ways. And I think this this adaptation is is simply outstanding. By way of trivial bits, which I don't, do you have any trivial bits to contribute? I'll, I don't. I'll breeze through. I'll breeze through these uh, just very quickly. I have couple uh, a couple of things. So, first of all, there's a lot of foreshadowing early on in the film uh, that wasn't in the book, but there's a lot of foreshadowing. As they're driving in, I don't know if you caught this, but as they're driving in, there is a news report on the radio talking about the Moonlight Man and how he had escaped yeah, and yeah, they yeah. were on the lookout. So, that, that there's was, that. That was pretty obvious, Reed. Pretty obvious. So, there it is. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then uh, when... Uh, when they obviously they break for the dog, the dog mm-hmm. is is there. But as they're uh, as she feeds him that Kobe steak, then he Gerald gives the throwaway line where he says that's the best meat he'll ever have. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, but it's mm-hmm. not the last meat he'll ever have. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Um, you have not yet watched Hush, right? You've never mm-hmm. seen it. I have not. Okay. So this is not a major spoiler for Hush, but the main character is a novelist, and the book that she throws that uh jesse throws at the dog uh uh-huh. called midnight mass is by that's, the novelist from hush that's cool is hush a completely yeah. original screenplay yeah that's totally that's mike that's Flanagan. Cool. yeah um so my last bit um and if you have not seen dolores claiborne or read the novel you would there's no way you would have picked up on this um do you remember the moment in gerald's game where she is remembering being like in a well and looking up at somebody in a well and the well was full of secrets. Do you remember that little monologue that Jesse gives? It's, it's a, it's a very brief section, but um, um, it, it rings a mild bell, but yeah. So she's talking about having this vision of looking up and, and seeing this woman that that's Dolores Claiborne. That's the direct connection to Dolores Claiborne because without spoiling too much of it, the main plot of Dolores Claiborne involves a battered woman and uh, her plot to basically do away with her husband, and it involves uh, a well. Uh, if you look at the cover of Dolores Claiborne, there's 
Dolores Claiborne staring down into a well. And uh, during the eclipse of this film, in the novels, the two of them, in the respective novels, in Gerald's Game and in Dolores Claiborne, that eclipse takes place. And when that eclipse takes place, they have a vision of each other. Dolores looks into the well and sees Jesse on the on the little bench with her father, which we'll get to that. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, Jesse sees a vision of Dolores kind of looking down through this well, the, the vision that she describes. So that that's the direct connection between the two of them. They were originally intended, I think, to be published as a pair uh, with a collective title in the shadow of the eclipse. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so anyway, I just wanted to point that out, especially if you haven't seen it. Um, I love the line that they included in the film that, uh, she says, uh, what's the well full of it's full of secrets. And that's significant to Dolores Claiborne. We're not having a conversation about Dolores Claiborne. Maybe we will at some point, but yeah, so that's that. I just wanted to point that connection out. Thank you for, you're, uh, yeah. for being <laughs> this is, uh, this, is super, this is super random, but, and it, we're talking about the movie, so I'm going to share it, but it is pretty. Uh, pretty circumstantial, but um, it did click with me. And this is kind of my feminist brain at work. It is interesting to me that for a story that's clearly intentionally about the character of Jesse, that it's unfortunate that the title of the film is Gerald's game. You know, it's like, Oh, right, right, right. No, uh, of course. Kind of buried the lead a little bit there. Um, (laughs) And to, well, I guess here's a question in the book. Is the is the structure similar? Like, is there very like are there two kind of uh, mental projection versions of her and him? Kind of no. Okay, so one of my major likes is Gerald does not come back in the book. Okay, so well, see, it, you're fur- you're furthering my point though. That's what I was. That's why I asked that because I'm like, in the movie, you can kind of make a case. Okay, Gerald's game, and he shows up, and he's toying with her mentally, and you know, oh, psychologically. Yeah. Whereas in the book, if he if it's literally just he handcuffs her and dies, like, oh, well, come on, Stevie. Yeah. Um, so w- what happens in the? She does have at least three, maybe more, mental projections. But if I'm remembering the novel correctly, um, it has been some time since I've read it the mental projections she has are all versions of herself. Okay. So so if I'm remembering it correctly, Gerald does not come back and, and, and speak anything to her, but she sees multiple versions of herself with multiple personalities. Some of them are embodied in the film in what Gerald sort of projects, intimidation and, and uh, a little bit of sort of toying with her and taunting her and stuff like that. So that but I actually consider that to be a pretty strong choice on Flanagan's part just to oh, vary it's great. it up a little bit. It's great. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I and, and part of, part of it is, you know, are you going to cast Bruce Greenwood and kill him in five minutes? And that, uh, yeah, his, no, of course his yeah. one day on set, you know, um, <laughs> but why to me, that's funny. And again, I'm not all you listeners out there like, Oh my God, Nathan quit picking nits here. I get it. But <laughs> why it's particularly funny to me right now is I don't know if you saw this headline recently, the Kings, Tabitha and Stephen, I think specifically even Tabitha, donated, I didn't look this up to be able to speak super specifically to it, but they donated a bunch of money to like a nonprofit of some type, some sort of charity or foundation or something. Okay. And the article publicizing this, the headline referenced Stephen King and his wife. 
Oh, and both of the king. Right. Both of them took to social media to lay into this publication. Yeah, like, of course. Or Tabitha and her husband. You know, it was just really oh, funny. Oh, sure. So, yeah. So it's, it really sticks out like Gerald's game. Oh, he's in it for five minutes. Um, <laughs> it's really not about Gerald at all. <laughs> no, um, no. But uh, in terms of likes, dislikes. And and before we get too far into it, we've you know we've roughly alluded to this so far. Maybe you explicitly stated it talking about the book, but the film is I did uh, okay. The film the film is this couple, this kind of you know late forties type couple are trying to revitalize their marriage, uh, retreat to this cabin for a weekend getaway. Um, Gerald's game is some kind of sex play. He wants to engage in handcuffs her to these bedposts and then proceeds to have a heart attack and die. Um, and so that happens within, you know, the first 10 or 15 minutes of the film and is the, the inciting incident of kind of the story at play, which is then her efforts to one, just sort of physically figure out how on earth she's going to free herself, but also, um, this sort of, you learn a lot about this character and sort of these flashbacks and these, as we just alluded to, kind of uh, psychic manifestations in the film of herself and of the husband that are toying with her or encouraging her as the moment needs it. And it's, it's, right. it's, it's a very compelling film. Um, oh, it's harrowing. I, I, I'm going to heap a lot. I'm just tipping my hand a little bit. I'm going to heap a lot of praise on this film. So just get ready <laughs> because I love it. I think it's a fantastic movie. I'm ready, Reed. I'm ready. Okay. Okay. I, to- I told you, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm what? just going to dive right over that. I'm just going to dive <laughs> right past that. Okay. So I have uh, a couple, I have a couple of, of major likes in my in my comments about likes dislikes and then i have some scares so do you do you mind if i if i go first please read it's okay your party i'm just all right so i wanted to take note um this this could be pivoted into theme a little bit but it's not the theme that i kind of want to discuss but so the game of the title gerald's game this this sort of monopoly cuff (laughs) yes that's what it is it's monopoly twister um this sort of handcuff intimacy moment is pretty upsetting. It's pretty upsetting in the moment because uh, she's clearly like initially sort of uh, willing to try to do what she can to revitalize the marriage, kind of trying to play along. But it's it's it becomes very uncomfortable for her very very quickly. And as you mentioned, he has a heart attack pretty quickly into it. But before all of that happens, she starts she starts expressing very uh, overtly, particularly, and I'm sure you noted this, maybe because this was your first time seeing it, so maybe you didn't pick up on it as much. Particularly when he uses the word "daddy," yeah. she has a, a pretty strong reaction, um, and we see why later in the film. But um, it's it's pretty upsetting. But there's a lot, and again, I'm not pivoting into theme right now. But there's a lot that you could unpack about, even in the context of a marriage, about the importance of consent and the importance of just understanding and communication in. Uh, even inside of uh, a marriage relationship, you know, sure. there's a lot of conversation um, in the culture in the world right now about consent in dating relationships and in certain contexts and the importance of consent in intimacy there. But I think sometimes, you know, sort of sort of an old way of thinking would be like, well, once you're married, that's then it's sort of like 
some of those rules just sort of get tossed out the window. But I'm I'm a big believer in like, well, no, there's there's still hey, uh, you never toss those rules out the window, Mike. Never, gosh. no, never, never, no. Um, First and, rule uh, of and, Gerald's game is play by the rules. You play know. by the rules. We learned yeah. with Cam. You play by the rules. <laughs> play, but don't break the rules. <laughs> exactly. Um, so anyway, I just I wanted to note that uh, again. I'm not pivoting to theme for the third time, but uh, but it's just. But I felt like it was important to note that that whole notion of consent. Uh, I, I I appreciated the way Mike Flanagan sort of handled that whole moment. Will you? Um, yeah. Will you permit me to throw something here? Please, please, by all means. So you you consent with me moving forward with this statement? Yeah. Yes, I consent. <laughs> okay. You may move forward. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're a generous co-host. Um, <laughs> so, um, Lackey's game. <laughs> That's I, I'm a, I'm a giver. Holy cow! <laughs> um, what's so funny is the night I was watching this. So I knew the general premise, but I didn't know the kind of content of the film more or less. And right, um, I've got my earphones on. Uh, my wife's downstairs. I'm watching this movie. She comes upstairs, and I'm like, hey, I got to pause this. Hey, just listen. Listen real quick. I don't know what is in this movie, okay? I don't know. <laughs> so I apologize ahead of time. And then the freaking bench scene is going on. like, oh, my God. Okay. Um, yeah. 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 Don't look. Don't look at this movie. Nothing, yeah. to, nothing to see here. You know what's, you know what's fascinating? What? Did, like, one of the things I love about Mike Flanagan as a director, that, do you, I mean, we can imagine how easily we, – we had – a conversation about you know a very heavy, uh, difficult to process film uh, a couple of weeks in Cam. There are so many ways in this story that he could have gotten exploitative, but I don't feel an inch oh, of exploitation no. anywhere it's, it's in very, this film. It's very sensitive. Yeah, it's so it's so sensitively rendered. It's so artfully done. Um, the the craft is not, but it's it's also pretty bold. Like and and this is what I appreciated about it is. Flanagan had to kind of thread a needle here. It's why they called the film unfilmable for, or the book unfilmable for a long time. He had to thread a needle here. You can't, you can't really pivot too hard into too many different directions, or you're going to again get exploitative. Get, uh, I, I, there's a multitude of adjectives, uh, some of which probably wouldn't be appropriate, but it would be really easy to mishandle this material. And I feel like this film should be immediately applauded uh, intensely for its restraint and for its sensitivity. Um, I think Flanagan has still made a terribly effective, upsetting, and disturbing, and scary, and moving film uh, while handling some insanely complicated material. Yeah. And I just, it, it's, yeah. it's impressive. It's really, really impressive. Um, um, well, let me do a few likes, dislikes, okay? okay. Sure, sure. Can I do that? No. Um, no. Let me get my, my cup of water <laughs> over my head here. <laughs> okay, um, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, the playtime scene is super uncomfortable, and... I did write, it's a perfect movie moment of Bruce Green, Greenwood flopping off the bed and then the score just stops. I don't know if oh, you remember that right. moment. Like when right. his body yes. just flops yeah. off oh, the yeah. bed. Um, two, I, I, now, even though I have not read the material and so I did not know the Dolores Claiborne connection, there are two great uh, King connections in this flick. There oh, are. Oh, man, it was great. There are. So the two, the two I wrote down were uh, so Bruce, uh, Gerald dies and the dog at the top of the film enters the, re-enters the story and starts like, well, he doesn't initially start eating on him, right? He, initially he's just hanging out. 
It's no, the first time he comes in, he goes for the arm. The very first time the dog comes in. It's so room. disgusting. Um, it's pretty awful. But projection, Gerald says, <laughs> that just made me think of, is it Finding Dory? Gerald. Gerald. Is that, isn't that one of the characters <laughs> in know. Finding Dory? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so um, random. It is random. That's how I roll, man. That's my, that's Nathan's game. It's just random. Um, <laughs> well, Greenwood says, who could possibly hear you scream except Cujo over there? So that's a great Oh, yes. A great yes, note. Yes, and really. then I just have this image of Greenwood laying on the bed, and he's taunting her, and he says, all things serve the bean, which mm. is like such a badass deep cut king note but like sure if you have like most people have heard the phrase culturally cujo like you may not even know sure. for yeah, certain yeah, that yeah. that's a king reference but you know that cultural reference like no, sure nobody knows the beam so that's all a things serve the beam pretty awesome uh pretty awesome deep cuts king cut there so you've you've mentioned this i want to uh validate you um with mm. uh, i love just the general convention of the projection versions of her and him like it's just a really mm. it's a really great right right sort like if you're gonna make a, a sort of bottle movie you know bottle just i mean just like all in one location uh um, yeah, chamber play yeah you've got to get kind of okay whatever read bottle episode chamber <laughs> play it's the same thing okay okay um <laughs> wow um it's a really effective and innovative way to do that in a film version um we can't oh, yeah. we can't get much further away without noting pregnant Theo from Hill House. Yeah, um, who, yeah. That actress is totally pregnant for real, right there. And then <laughs> um, Elliot, uh, aka Hugh Crane, aka Disgusto Daddy, in this movie. Mm. But yeah, uh, he's so gross in this. So gross. Um, so it is kind of cool to see Flanagan has a bit of a chorus he likes to pull from. Uh, yes, uh, Flanagan has these. Uh, Flanagan has these these sort of repeat players, and and that's part of the fun of watching his material. Um, mentioning you know his repeat players and everything like that. I my major major love. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a Nathan the way you've uh, commented on these things in times past. I'm gonna say two words. First word is Carla, and second word is Gugino. Because yeah. oh my gosh, this is what do a I do? tour. Do you I do you that? just yeah, just you just have a tendency. Yeah, you just ha- like, you just have a tendency to say yeah, you have a tendency to say like <laughs> oh my first like is Ethan and my second oh. like is Hawk and oh, oh my first like is Mike you, and my second like is Flanagan again and. Oh, my first like is Reed, and my second you like is You love to solidify things that a person doesn't isn't aware they do, and then you're like, <laughs> I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a thing that this is a Nathan Rouse thing. It's a Reed and it's a lackey. And I'm like, wait, what? I don't know. What are we talking about? I'm still hang <laughs> I'm still handcuffed to the bed. What are we talking about here? <laughs> you're like, I'm so confused at what <laughs> I do. I don't know what I do. Is that your um, other friend Nathan that does that? Or are you talking about me? I don't know. <laughs> I'm getting but, old. But um but no, sincerely, Carla Gugino is just it, this is an is outstanding. Great. Standing performance from her. I mean, there is so much demanded of her for this role. Not only the elements where she's, you know, her in her present being sort of handcuffed to the bed, but also the projection of her right. and how she interacts with herself and the differences there is just, oh, it's just staggering. And she's somebody that has hit my radar before. I mean, she's been she's been performing for a number of years. Um, I've seen her in smaller roles here and there, but this is the first time I've seen her in a major 
like leading performance and she is absolutely outstanding. She is just she's breathtaking in terms of what she's able to deliver in this in this performance, particularly how demanding it is. So, yes, yeah, so absolutely love Carla Gugino. My last in the likes dislikes before we pivot to scares is um I love to the degree that when I watched it the first time and when I rewatched it the second time, uh, when the moment happened, I wound the the screen back and watched <laughs> the scene again. I love, love, love the courtroom scene at the end. Love it. Right. Love it so much. I can't go into too many reasons why right now because that's going to be what I'm going to bring up in theme. But I love it so 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 much so uh yes that you final know, courtroom scene. As, a, as a random little insertion here our technology has made us so dumb you you yeah, were like roll you, back the screen yeah yeah you were like uh well i didn't rewind it technically is that a thing you people even do anymore like well I because just, you can back 10 touched, seconds you can just press I it you touch know? the screen and moved my finger and now i watched <laughs> it again <laughs> like what i backed the scene up yeah you're right people you're right. people 20 years ago are like what are you talking about bro anyway so scares um i think the first one i wrote down is the quote that says what if i'm sweet and then i wrote that's rough that's is when she's she's pushed him away when he's initiating his game and he goes back after and oh man that ain't right raid no um nope that dog eating that man that ain't right raid that's like nope no, that's pretty much all his you, arm. That's like that's like the going phrase for this movie. That ain't right. <laughs> you don't handcuff that woman that bad and had a heart attack. That ain't right. Did you know right away <laughs> that it was a projection of Gerald after he rose up? Because it's like the arm thing Gerald. happens. And Gerald. The, uh, Gerald. Um, the arm thing happens and he jumps right up in that moment. Did you know right away like, oh, um, that's a projection? Or did you think he, maybe he woke up? I think because all I knew of the text was uh sex game where the husband dies i knew that's probably not really him had to be yeah gotcha, yeah, yeah, yeah. gotcha but yeah, but i yeah. do think for a brief moment there because it is that the moment where the hand smacks the bed uh or is that later i think i think that might be later but the, okay. the dog the dog takes a chunk out of the arm yeah and it and then that's, that's the first yeah and that's the first moment that gerald sort of jumps up and is like oh man my arm you know like it's yeah well yeah, that dog eating that guy's arm. That ain't right. Uh, that, ain't right. that ain't right. But the the general routine return of the audio of the dog, and I wrote it here, eating slash lapping slash shredding slash slurping is the worst. The, that, that slurp do- that dog's is awful. Like, I knew you were going to do that. You're it. You, you're awful. You're awful. That's Nathan's Don't. game. That's... <laughs> That's Nathan's game right there. Effing with Riri. Um, <laughs> but no, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. You you got to oh, know that that Foley guy was like, I'm going to find the nastiest slurpy sound I can. <laughs> and so he like gross. went and got that Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> and he like amplified oh. it and stretched it out oh. and then like had a dog eating an arm oh my while gosh. he's doing it. It's awful. Don't. Let's, it is let's move on. It let's ain't move right. on. It's terrible. You, hey, Riri, right. you know what else ain't right? That big old freaky dude in the shadows. That ain't right. That brother, <laughs> that brother ain't right. First time right. you see that man, okay. I'm like, oh my god, that ain't right. So I, so I have a story to tell you. Tell me the story. I did, did you, not. Hey, did you join Poop Club watching this movie? 
uh, not watching the movie. Reading that book? So, so I did not enjoy <laughs> the book very much. That's why you're like I, listening to the audio in the car, and you're like, oh, poop club. And you so, go to the bathroom to read it. Uh, listen, so I was reading the book, uh-huh. and I was like, and part of the reason why I went back and forth to the audiobook is because the <laughs> book is a stream of conscious narrative, right. and sometimes if you're reading several pages of that, it can be it can it can be a little laborious, or at least it was for me. I was younger, maybe I'd feel differently if I tried to read it again. Um, and so the audiobook helped because somebody's just reading it to me. I just have to pay attention, and they propel their way through it instead of me feeling like, oh, how much more is there of this? You know, blah blah blah. I so I made it so. The the Moonlight Man, or in the novel, he's called the Space Cowboy. But in That's the dumb. oh come on, but so his his appearance is not until more than halfway through the novel in his first appearance. So I was making my way through it, blah blah blah, and then I had had read a good chunk of the book. I flipped over to the audiobook, and where I was living was like half a mile from a 7-Eleven, and it was night, and I said, you know what? I'm going to walk down. I'm going to get myself a couple of snacks, and I'm going to listen to this audiobook while I'm walking. Nathan Rouse. I am sitting there. This poor woman's been handcuffed to the bed for like half the novel. I'm sitting, she's right. having stream of consciousness thoughts about all these things that are going on. And then I am walking. I remember so distinctly sitting here right now having this conversation with you. It was probably 20 years ago, and I can still picture myself um, in this position. I was walking back the from the 7-Eleven. No, I was walking back from the 7-Eleven. I had my snacks in my hand, and uh-huh. suddenly the segment where she sees the guy in the shadows and it begins to describe it comes on. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's okay. This is getting a little freaky. Remember that I am listening to an audiobook with headphones on, walking home at night. It right. is night. Yeah, that wasn't smart. You know and what I mean? as I'm hearing... That ain't right. That ain't right. As I'm hearing the description of this guy and as I'm making my way... I have my head kind of down, just watching my feet where they go. Another pedestrian immediately enters my frame, and I yelped. And I I did not, as I've said before, I did not enjoy this book very much. But that moment, hearing that moment, and then a pedestrian sort of like crosses my path innocently, is one of probably the top three, if not scariest moments I have ever had engaging with Stephen King material. It was so... Because in the book, it comes so out of nowhere. Right. Like, his, well, his presence I there mean, is... I mean, in the movie, it's pretty out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, it's you have... There's nothing... In, yeah, in the movie or in the book, there's nothing to indicate, oh, we're about to move towards there is going to be a creepy, monstrous, ultra-tall, gangly, long-armed, freaky little Moonlight Man, space cowboy thing, standing in the corner just watching her. And it's just, oh, oh, it's that, awful. That oh, big it's freaky awful. dude, man. Because he... Dude. Because it cuts to Carol the Carol Stroykin's the actor. Thanks. You're yeah. welcome. Okay. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> it's like, wow. It's like, it's like the Predator guy. It's like, who, who remembers that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was Lurch um, from the Adams. <laughs> Um, because is it doesn't it happen in the film where it just cuts to the corner and you see shadow, but you don't see it, anything discernible, and then it kind of slowly, yes. vaguely enters the sort of oh god, yes. yes. You know what really sucks oh is gosh. when I finish recording with you tonight, I have to exit a garage and walk a, a, a short distance outside to my house. That's not You're cool. Welcome. I'm gonna be running 
that ain't that ain't right. I'm gonna be yelling. That ain't right. <laughs> um, yes. So anyway, I pooped myself. Joined yeah, the hey, club. Riri, you know what else ain't right? Don't say it. That bi- that dude. Look at her feet. That ain't right. It's so <laughs> nasty. Right. Oh my right. gosh. That's like that's like top top three. That ain't right of this movie. Oh man, is, that ain't right. Yes. Yeah, she dozes off because she's just so worn out and exhausted and all this sort of stuff. And what brings her back is this freaky dude licking her feet. And yeah. it should be mentioned, if you haven't watched the movie, this character we're referring to, for a good portion of the film, you think is a specter that's just kind of haunting her. I mean, she sort yes. of she yes. sort of associates him as a death, right? Like uh, the personification yes. of death. I don't remember kind of in what context we understand that. Oh, well, I guess it's Greenwood describes him that way and like yes. assigns yes. that kind of role to him. Um, exactly. Spoiler alert, you end up learning it's a literal physical person there in... Uh, with her, yeah. which uh, what's more creepy, Elvano? <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, I mean, there's more. What What are some scares? Name some scares, man. I'm just I'm just freaked okay. out by a freaky dude. I've got no, I know. I've got two more. So uh, the so obviously it's upsetting what her dad does to her. That's um, on the night of the eclipse. But even worse, even worse, and and they call it out in the film that it is even worse is the calculated manipulation that he th- th- like it's one of the most disturbing and upsetting scenes oh, the gas, all it is when he gaslights her yeah when he terrible. gaslights her that's in the terrible. bedroom yeah and it's that's like terrible. that that scene is one of the most upsetting scenes in the film and it is just two people having a conversation that's, that's all it is and i'm it is actually so glad that i had seen hill house before this movie oh or it was yeah because it might have soured for me you? it's a good thing i saw et first too <laughs> yeah henry like, thomas has been around for a while like dang um, elliot you ain't right yeah yeah that's a ter- um, that's a terrible that whole ugh, oh that's all and then terrible the last thing i have on my scares list is oh dear lord the the degloving scene in oh! the handcuff thing oh, oh! that ain't right so that Dude, ain't I- right so the the first time around, I knew uh-huh. it was coming, and it was really uncomfortable to watch. I kind of kept looking away. This time, I made myself watch every frame re- of like, it, like from the like just remember from, from the, the novel. Book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. yeah. that's the same way she gets free in the novel. And so, and so, I, I remembered that that was coming, and I kind of <laughs> just like looked from my side eye. But this time around, I was like, no, 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 let me see it. I, I don't. I want to like force myself to watch it. And I was I was shaking. I was shaking as I was watching it. I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do with myself. I can't what I don't know you, what to do with my hand. If, I just, you had, I was, if you had a phrase you could have used right then, what would you have said? That ain't right. That ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't right. <laughs> like, Liv Crane, that ain't right. That keep ain't your, right. Keep your that hand, right. girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, so, that so, is yeah, the, terrible. Yeah. I mean, it works. It works. But, oh, man, it's awful. I can't it's remember. Awful. Does she... Does she apply any lubricant to her hand or something? Like what? How does she? No, that's the thing is that that what she what prompts her to do it is the realization that when blood clots, it's very sticky. But before that's it clots, right. that's it's it. yeah, slick yeah. like yeah. oil. Oh yeah, yeah. So, she cuts her. Ri- oh yeah. Yeah. So she cuts now. her wrist and like and slices up her hand so that her hand gets slick with her own blood and then pulls her hand through the handcuff, uh, taking off a, uh, like. Lifting up a huge chunk of, of her flesh as she does so. What it, if I just awful. passed out on recording right now? 
Oh, <laughs> it would not surprise me, to be oh. honest with you. <laughs> yeah, you watch that scene. That's just bring your exact us moment. Just bring us home, Reed. Oh. <laughs> it's just oh, again. Um, so yeah, that's that's all the scares of that. Do you? I mean, we've been going a little while. Do, well, do you mind if we go ahead and dive right into theme? I'm good, Reed. I, I don't want to yeah. talk about people's hands and blood anymore. <laughs> okay, so I have. Something that I'm uh, that I'm that I'm really sort of anxious to talk about. Did you have any sort of small or like, I don't, it doesn't have to be small, but did you I have any what, sort of specific? What are you talking about? I can't have big themes. Am <laughs> I not a big? Am I not a big theme kind of guy? Uh, yeah, you're a big theme. You, yeah, you've got a really big theme. I didn't mean. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to minimize your your theme there. You know what? I just. Your your theme is that ain't right. Is, oh my goodness! So, your theme is so impressive. Lackey's game took a turn. Lackey's game. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. Is well, I'll throw it out there, and you can go we'll, ahead. We'll go see. ahead. Um, the what I wrote down initially was the line that she says. Um, in response to his kind of S and M stuff, was she says, "Who exactly did I marry?" Um, mm, mm, and mm. interestingly, King, King loves that idea. He loves going back to that. Well, like you've got a good marriage that, that, you know, story and film, I yeah. seen the film version of that, but just this notion that you never really know your partner and, right, right. um, which is fascinating because to be married to the same woman for like 50 plus years. I mean, like, yeah. It's crazy. You said that kind of resentfully. <laughs> no, it's not resent. No, it's not resentful. It's just <laughs> amazing that he deals with that a lot because he's got a he's got a really you know. I think he's trying Ohio. to. I think he's trying to tell her something. <laughs> hey, like, I'm crazy. <laughs> listen, Tabby. I'm just saying. Wow, wow. <laughs> no, no, he means listen, my wife. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wife of best-selling author. Right, 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 right. <laughs> um, well, I'm I'm trying to pivot to somewhere positive because I think that, and you're just not letting me. Um, <laughs> um, Consent. Oh my God. Let me guess. <laughs> you just called me your co-host, right? Reed Lackey <laughs> and his co-host. Um, yes, I did. I did. <laughs> um, because it's it's going to fail now because we're being idiots. But um, I was trying to take this notion too. I feel like, and and speak to this if you want, but. I think, yes, I do think there's a truism to the idea of you can never truly, truly, truly know somebody. That's a real sort of like cynical way to sort of position that. But I think, too, it also the the non-cynical version of that is is I think there's something really lovely because there's like it's like the wonder and scariness of having a person you are wed to be their own unique self like you like we can get real scared of it. We can get real scared of the idea, and this is why we don't like consent, because what it involves is really equipping a partner with their truest agency, and that yeah. can maybe hurt us. You know, like we might yeah. be insecure about that. We might be scared by that, but I think there's something beautiful about, you know, the idea that, you know, ignore the the phrasing of you can never really know someone and and pivot it more to like there's wonder to behold the more you learn of this person who may constantly surprise you with the interesting things about them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure. I think it's, I think, and I don't mean to, by no means, I'm not saying Stephen King, this is a cynical film. I don't mean that, but I'm simply saying this notion that does come up sometimes of like, Oh, you can never really know somebody. Well, yeah, 
yeah, you're you're right because oh my gosh, like the the storm that exists inside my head and heart at any given moment in life. I don't know that I want someone privy to the entirety of that. You know what I mean? But I do want them. I do want to be like, you know, not because, because this notion of, well, if you really know someone, you're going to take them for granted, you know, how a person's going to be or behave or that sort of thing. It's, it kind of this idea in its positive light, you know, keeps you alert and awake and active to your partner. You know, I don't don't know. Yeah. That's may seem an odd takeaway, but it just really kind of spoke to me this notion of, okay, she's, she's finding out dreadful things, but I think there's a lot of times where if we let our partners do, do so, we can be surprised by their new layers and new shades that they're, you know, exploring or or discovering about themselves. I don't know. Oh, absolutely. It it, it calls to mind the a novel well it's not a novel but the book that i love called a grief observed when c.s lewis lost his wife yeah and one of the things that he says is he says you know all i will have now is my memory of her and she had that capacity to constantly surprise me do and say things that weren't expected and now all i have are my sort of filter and impression she won't surprise me anymore and i, I yeah. think you're absolutely right um there is that notion when we enter into an intimate relation with somebody else there is those you know that's that surprise there's that there's that unexpected element he's surprised uh, i mean obviously everything that is gerald in the film past his heart attack is her projection sure. of him but it is uh you know in that he's surprised to learn the things about her that he you know, quote unquote discovers the right. elements of her past, the abuse and, and everything associated with that. Well, uh, the, this time, this time around, one of the things that I wanted to, uh, it really galvanized me and maybe, I don't know, I, I, I mentioned to you sort of offline that like, Oh, I've, I've, I've got a big theme to talk about and you know, you might hear it and be like, Oh no, that's, that's on the nose Reed. That's, that's pretty obvious. But this time around watching the film, the, element of the eclipse stood out far more prominently to me this time around and it's it's a a big moment even in a first viewing but the what i'm going to is eclipse as metaphor Mm -hmm. was really struck me pretty profoundly i had mentioned in passing earlier that the courtroom scene uh the courtroom scene to which i'm referring so basically she's been going through this incredible ordeal she eventually slices open her wrist and her hand, manages to free one hand from the handcuffs, and then in doing so sort of sets off a chain of events that allows her to eventually get free. And then as she, you know, gets free, she faces this moonlight man on her way out the door, throws her wedding ring in, and then escapes, then then just sort of gets away. But as she's escaping, she says to him, you're not real, you're not real, you're only made of moonlight. And when I saw the uh, this, again, the very first time I watched it, I went back to the scene before I concluded the film and watched the courtroom scene again. This time around watching it, courtroom scene hit me the same way because after she gets free and has spent some time healing, she has some skin grafts and, and her hand's never quite right again, but she learns that as as we've already said, she learns that that guy was not 
as she suspected, a figment, a specter of death, but was a real person who had escaped from some institution. Licking her feet! Oh my gosh, that was the dog though. But still, but like, so anyway, he was. It, it was like this. This this character was, you know, going around from place to place. It was doing some hideous and gruesome things, mutilating corpses, and it was it was doing all kinds of things that, um, you know, was indicative of a of a demented mind. But when she goes into the courtroom, somebody outside, a reporter, is saying, you know, the the suspect has not said a word since his arrest. But then she gets up and interrupts the courtroom. I mean, I don't know that she really would have been allowed to do that without repercussion, but she interrupts the courtroom as just like, hey, hey. And when he turns around, he says back to her, you're not real. You're only made of moonlight and like breaks free of his shackles and everything. And it's a, to the people in the courtroom, it's a kind of a harrowing moment because this very large man who they know has, is guilty of some heinous things, um, is now breaking free of his, has broken free of his restraints. And, uh, and so what he says to her is, he says, you know, you're not real. You're only made of moonlight. The same thing she said back. And then this is what really did it for me because I was watching that scene. I've always been galvanized by that scene. But then she says to him, and I loved this moment the first time watching it, but she says to him, she says, you're so much smaller than I remember. And she visualizes him as her father. She visualizes him as Gerald, and then she visualizes him as as himself. And she's looking at this, and, and obviously that line, you're so much smaller than I remember, is a very empowering statement and everything. But then I got to thinking about the eclipse, and I'm hoping that I'm going to express what hit my heart in such a way that you can at least understand why I was so energized by this, um, even if it doesn't you know, sort of spawn off further intense conversation. When we think about what an eclipse is in its most mechanical, practical functions, it, it is an object in the sky that is obscuring the light, but it is a by definition of what it is supposed to be it is a smaller object or an object that it so the moon is closer to us right and the moon is smaller much much smaller significantly smaller than the sun but it obscures the sunlight mm-hmm. it gets in the way and this smaller object obscures the sunlight and that line that, that is from the novel. It's direct from the novel. But that line, you're only made of moonlight, suddenly hit me so powerfully of like, wow, this small and ultimately, consequentially, a small person, a small event, a small object, but because of trauma or because of intimidation or because of coercion or because of force or whatever it is. Of course, the the film is about abuse, so my thoughts are revolving around abuse, but it could apply to a number of different contexts. Something that is essentially smaller than the source of light in your life gets in the way Mm -hmm. and stands in the way in between you and the light that would bring life and vitalization to your being. It gets in the way, and so ultimately... It is only made of moonlight, but it, it elicits fear. It elicits control. She is forever shadowed by the thing that happened that was perpetrated to her by her father in the shadow of that eclipse. She is forever, everything right. that her life revolved around up to that point was influenced, if not directly sort of controlled, 
by this event that happened to her in the shadow of this eclipse. And so it, it, what what just made me so excited about this film and the way it scratches at these things is that no and again it's in, it's in the novel it's it's pretty faithful to the novel but that notion of eclipse as metaphor that well, like oh yeah they, he eclipsed everything in her life yeah go well, ahead I, f- I feel like you're like tiptoeing right up to additional profundity because i wrote down this line i wrote down this line but didn't even contextualize it but i'm pretty sh- sure it's at the very end she says we need the sun to come back out Yes, she says it to her younger self. Yes, mm, she says yeah, yeah, it in, yeah. in in a memory back. She says, "We need the sun to come back out." Yes, you're right. Yeah, and and it is. It's this notion of uh, when when people are victims of abuse in any number of different contexts, the trauma can so just dehumanize the person. It can so obscure so many other things that would be vital and vibrant in their life, their agency, their personhood. And it just, I don't know, that the this notion of an eclipse that maybe, you know, I mean, I doubt, highly doubt that Stephen King would ever listen to this, but like maybe he or one of his sort of, maybe a, maybe a fan of his who does more comprehensive criticism on him might say like, yeah, that's the metaphor of eclipse that's in these novels. Like that's that's what it's about, is is these smaller, minuscule men trying to eclipse the vibrance of these women that they've subjected to abuse. Maybe that's been the point all along. But well, it did not stand out to me until this viewing of the film. Well, um, it's interesting because what you're, what you're kind of making me think about is she says, you're so much smaller than I remember. She says, we need the sun to come back out. I think what's really powerful, and I'm going to tie it back to Captain Marvel. Um, oh, boy. There's this really great scene. It's in the trailer. There's far more in the trailer than you'll wish were after you see it. But um, there's this really great scene. There are echoes in the film Captain Marvel, these flashbacks of her failing as a child, as a young adult in the Air Force. You know, she crashes a go-kart as a child. She falls from a rope in the Air Force. And there's one other little vignette of similar uh, action. And late in the film, when she comes finally into her own, these memories start playing back and there's this sequence of her at various ages having fallen and it's her physically standing up, up, you know, Mm. so it's this, this real quick secret sequence of, yeah, of this happening. And I think in Gerald's game, you know, that's the same idea. It's like when you're ready to shred your hand off, (laughs) you know, it's, and I, I, I'm slightly joking there, but the point being, she, I want to be sensitive to this language here. Don't hear what I'm not saying. What I was about to say is when she decides to no longer be a victim, I think we we need to be mindful sometimes of like people love to, to bandy around. Oh, don't play the victim. Oh, it's a victim card. Right. Like right, she right, is right. victimized. She yes. is victimized by yeah. her father. She is on a certain level victimized by her husband at the end of his life, these things haunt her. She is yeah. victimized on a certain level by this moonlight man who, who terrifies her. So she is actively a victim of these people's actions. But when she chooses to no longer let that victimhood define her is when the sun can come out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, it's not simply, it doesn't, the, the, the pattern is just not going to break of its own. You know, like right, there right. has to be some measure of like 
recognition, of cognizance, of awareness, of wakefulness, of grief, you know, yeah, of, yeah. of I'm hesitant to use the word forgiveness on a certain level because that's not what the movie's about, except that maybe it's about her forgiving herself, you know, like mm. she feels she, she feels like maybe somehow she was the cause of that eclipse attack. You know, like mm. she feels that maybe she's the cause of her husband's waning affections, you know? So like, it's about yeah, forgiving, yeah. forgiving herself for these ways. She thinks she has gotten it wrong. Um, so right. That she, so that, right. so that the sun can come back out. And I, I don't know, I think, I don't mean to, to co-opt your theme, but I think it's just a really powerful notion of like, we will be, the world will victimize us. It really will. And it'll victimize you and I less than it will victimize the people in the margins of our society and minorities and women like, and it's right. You right. know, it's not about like ignoring that victimization. It's about figuring out how not to be identified by it. I think. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. And I think it's significant that she, when she says the, we need the son to come out, she's, she's saying it to her younger self. Right, I don't think you're right. far off about the forgiveness and the permission. She's speaking to her young. I mean, it really is a, let me go back to that moment and tell my younger self, like, hey, we, we need to move we need to move on. We right, need to get past right. this and and that could be seen. You know, I, I recognize I don't I don't I, far be it from me to say to any victim of abuse, which the, you know, the, the subject of abuse is something that's very close and very personal to me for, for a number of reasons and and far be it for me to say to anybody who has suffered that trauma, like, oh, well, you just need to move on. You know, right. you, the, the, no, there's 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 so much attached to personal psychology, support system. There's so, there's so much that is attached to the time and place that someone is able to contextualize what their story is and be able to move forward from it. But got- you do reach a point, you know. Yeah. Well, I've I've got this peer, and and he is a person of faith, but we are dramatically different. And he loves to sort of berate, like he he loves to make these comments of like, oh, people, you know, just playing the victim card or just playing the victim. Uh, everybody loves to play the victim, and and sometimes I just want to be like, dude, like have some compassion, have some empathy. Oh my gosh, like I yeah. I, I I understand what you think you're saying. But, Mm. you know, at least as I was trying to identify a moment ago, like you have to be able to to acknowledge and and stare in the face your own and someone else's victimization in order to be able to let the sun come back out using the film's language. Like you can't just keep ignoring that, you know, Mm -hmm. like because that eclipse is just going to stay. Yeah. Well, and there's there's got to be a recognition and sometimes that comes from somewhere else. There's got to be a recognition that the sun is still behind this eclipse. There's got and and maybe that's part of what was really well, part of a, n- a number of things that were really galvanizing to me about this is there has to be a tipping point where you recognize wait a second, behind this made of moonlight thing, the sun is still there. It has it has not gone anywhere. There is a there is a path forward. There is a a way out. I would say that of we're, we're talking about abuse and trauma and and talking about people who have suffered tremendous uh, sort of victimization. But I would say the same thing of people who who suffer and struggle with depression. 
people who perhaps struggle, as we've talked about on the show before, with, with maybe thoughts of harming themselves or of doing the ultimate harm to themselves, there needs to be something that that pivots or tips in their mind of recognizing, yeah, the sun hasn't gone anywhere. This eclipse is not the final verdict on the story. This eclipse is not the ultimate sort of judgment to it. The sun is there behind it. It is simply being obscured right. by by this thing that is ultimately uh, smaller than the light that is ahead of me. But it is this this small... This but relatively- to your point, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but now you're getting me excited. But to your point, it has to be the person who who is cognizant of that smallness, right? Yes. No, no yes. one could tell Jesse, hey, this is smaller than you're making it. Come on, get, get right. over it. Ex- like exactly, she, exactly. She, had, work. she had to get there. And, and we, I think, as people of faith, as you know, those who think this Jesus might be worth emulating, have to be caretakers of each other until each other can come to that moment right like you you can't right like as much as we want to and i get it like sometimes it's discomforting sometimes it's just painful sometimes it's just inconvenient you know but you you cannot it is so rare at least in my comprehension it is so rare to push someone out into the Mm. sun when before before they're emotionally psychologically spiritually available to that you know right of course of course and that's why I think it, uh, you know, like uh, there is a, it's funny, there is a scripture verse that came to mind. I remember it more from a song, but uh, it's Isaiah chapter nine and verse two says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. And I know that's just a, a it's not a principled verse. It's just a, a, a statement of fact, but that, that notion of, yeah, there are, there are a number of people walking, living every single day, people that you may, in context that you may not even realize. They, uh, frequently people who struggle with depression or who are covering up uh, systemic abuse or systemic marginalization are presenting a happy, jovial facade at, at the forefront. But there are people who, who walk in the shadow of an eclipse and you know, it would be my prayer, my hope for each and every one of them that they would they, they would find the realization. Oh yes, you're you're not real. You're only made of moonlight. Like right. you're you're just you are just an obscura that has moved into the way of the ultimate light that still is burning and is still available to me. If I could only rid myself of the shadow of this this eclipse that has moved in front of me, and I don't know, I, and I I feel like Gerald's game is a a really profound and powerful and wonderful and and affecting film, um, but then I already greatly enjoyed it. And then when these notions of the power of an eclipse moment and how you can break free from that eclipse, you can make the sun come out. And what does she do in the final moment of the film, Nathan? She puts on a pair of sunglasses to walk off into into the distance, you know, and and I don't consider, you know, we're talking about not obscuring the light, you know. I think there's there's a gr- tremendous confidence in that moment. No, I'm not I'm not living in the shadow anymore. I see it, I feel it, I know it, you know, and and I feel you, like you don't wear sunglasses if the sun's not out. <laughs> that's a good point, and I think that's something you know, like could be real trite about the whole thing, but I think that's it's it's a powerful thing that she. You know, she she has come to recognize like that. Oh, you are, 
she sees her father. She sees her her deceased husband. Which, by the way, we didn't mention it, but I think I think it's pretty sweet that the uh, sweet, not sweet, like sweet, you know, like sweet as in like tender and and somewhat touching. The moment when she's pulling away from the house and she sees a final sort of image of his projection waving goodbye to her. Yeah. Um. That 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 was that was surprisingly touching, giving everything uh, the sort of the energy of that moment. But yeah, so so this notion of, yeah, there are eclipses in our lives that want to obscure the light that is trying to break forth into us, and and would that that passage from Isaiah and so many other allusions to uh, the light that that dawns on the end of a dark night would would break through to people who struggle with. Uh, abuse, people who struggle with trauma, people who struggle with marginalization, people who struggle with depression, whatever it is that is eclipsing your world um, that is keeping you trapped literally sometimes um, in systems that you'd long to break free from. Uh, there's, there's just a power to that, 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 that whole notion. Uh, you're not, you're not real. You're, you're only made of moonlight. And I just, I don't know, I found it energizing and I found it encouraging and it made me love a film. I already greatly enjoyed all the more. So, uh, that, so there's my, there's my thoughts on Gerald's game. You good to, you have any more to say, or you want to, you want to bring us into the, into the fog meter? Yeah. Well, I don't want to interrupt. I, I'm tr- substantive. I feel, thought. Like, I feel like you're like observing the, the wheels turning here. Um, I mean, I think all I would want, rare is it for me to want to put a nice button on our conversations, but I think it merits some value or merits some offering that if you are a person who feels victimized by the world, by specific trauma that you've endured, take heart that the sun can yet come out on your situation, on your life. And, you know, I would, I would want to encourage people to kind of, seek what are the means by which they can walk forward in newness. But honestly, I would also say to those who think low of maybe what they would consider the victim card players around them and, and train yourself in the way of grace and patience uh, for those who are just trying to endure the journey as well. You know, Um, I think if there's anything we're called to be um, it's friends to those in that darkness of the eclipse, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Anyway, absolutely. so no, I, I'm happy to go to the fog meter if you are, brother. Yeah, let's uh, let's do it. So um, our very specific metric where we uh, measure things in our, as our title of our show suggests, in the fear factor and the God factor, which is basically just the scares and the substance. So on the fear factor for Gerald's game, there's some obviously some upsetting things. Uh, we've talked about some nightmarish things. It's kind of difficult for me to gauge the the fear component of things, but I think I'm going to land on a seven for the fear factor of Gerald's game. What say you, Mr. Nathan Rouse? I mean, this is an uncomfortable movie. It really um, is. So yes. add the relative discomfort of just the subject matter and then add on top of that, Freaky dude, freaky moonlight man, and I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna join you at a seven, brother. Uh, All right. As far as the God metric or substance, I I think there's a lot going on here. I think this is a movie all about very heavy things. I mean, uh, yeah. so I don't know that it reaches the highest of heights with it, but in terms of what it's willing to tackle, it's very laudable. So I'm gonna echo a seven again in terms of the God factor. All right, I. 
was so galvanized by this material, I'm giving it a nine. Wee! Wow! On the god on the god meter, I think this I think this film has a lot to say, and I think it says it extremely well. Uh, so yeah, I I give it a, a a nine on the god factor, and that means that we the 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 fog meter is much more ruthless. Yes, it is. Than, it is than the the previous metric, and we but we still give Gerald's game on the fog meter a seven and a half out of ten. Uh, which honestly, the new average is more somewhere in the four to five range. Right. So that is a high recommendation. That is. So yes, on the fog meter, we give Gerald's game a seven and a half. But listeners probably already know my answer. The the I will I will pose the question to you first. Just point blank, would you recommend? Gerald's game to to audience members. I think uh, I think generally speaking, yes. I do think there might be a world where if you've struggled with or had discomforting encounters like what this movie depicts, it may be a problem for you. But sure, purely sure. purely on just is it a good horror movie worth watching? Absolutely. Yeah, I would give the the similar sort of asterisk where I would say you know it does deal with the subject of abuse obviously it does deal with some discomfort in its premise and in its conversational situations but if those if you are brave enough to say okay I think I can stomach that level of material this is a very strong recommendation for me I I think the film absolutely deserves to be seen um, I really am very impressed with what Mike Flanagan has done with this material. And, uh, yeah, so I, I would highly, highly recommend this film. Sweet. All right, man. So there it is. Uh, our first installment of Hashtag Flannel Graph Flanagan is in the books. And we will be catching up with him again next week with another Netflix original film, although there's a little question about its it's productions there. I'll mention that when we get to it, but we are going to be talking about Mike Flanagan's film from 2016 called before I wake. Nathan had teased it in one of our Bandersnatch versions. This time we mean it next week. We're talking about before I wake. So check out that film, check us back next week. And Nathan, thank you so much for having this conversation with me, man. I really, well, really appreciate I it. I mean, I, I mean, I couldn't really go anywhere. So <laughs> but, yeah, good luck with that <laughs> but you're welcome <laughs> you're welcome we'll see you next week guys bye there's a the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but it is not the end of the conversation you can continue this conversation in a variety of ways on Twitter, at The Fear of God. On Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast. You can like or follow us on Facebook or join the Fear of God Facebook discussion group. Follow Reed on Twitter, at Reed Lackey. And Nathan, at The Nathan Rouse. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com or visit morethanonelesson.com to comment on the official episode posts. And lastly, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or a review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. But I think, too, 
it also the the non cynical version of that is it. <laughs> Sheesh. Oh my god. You can never really know. Well, we gotta write it in because I'm gonna edit that out. I know. You, you I know. Get, you're saying it's super. Yeah, yeah. Um, is I think there's something really lovely because there's like it's like the wonder and scariness of having a person you are wed to be their own unique self. Like you, right. you have talked about this. <laughs> the way you just said that was so patronizing. Like, right. Yep. <laughs> yep. Just Nathan, just get on with it, man. I got, oh, a, I, I got my big theme. I want to share with I the world. Not, I'm not like that. <laughs> I, know, I know. I know. You're, you're, you're generous. You're generous. Oh Lord. Help us. Um, Hi, everybody.